Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The mountain lion, known as P-22, achieved worldwide attention as he roamed through the hills of Griffith Park overlooking Los Angeles for the past 10 years. Wildlife officials just euthanized the animal after determining his injuries and illnesses were too severe for him to return to the wild. Throughout his life, area tribes have been in discussion with officials about wildlife management issues. Now tribes want to say in how this significant animal is honored. We'll discuss the life of P-22 and what mountain lions mean to tribes. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Several religious groups are urging a federal appeals court to protect an Apache sacred site in Arizona from one of the nation's largest copper mines. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, the court will rehear the case in March. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Seventh-day Adventists, along with the Sikh and Jewish coalitions, among others, recently filed what are called Friend of the Court briefs. They're asking the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to stop a federal land swap that would transfer ownership of portions of Oak Flat east of Phoenix to the international mining company Rio Tinto. The groups say if the mine goes forward, it would harm the spiritual practices of the Apache people and threaten the religious freedom and civil rights of all faiths. Oak Flat is located on the Tonto National Forest and is home to key religious ceremonies practiced by the Western Apache. The group Apache Stronghold is suing the federal government to prevent the land swap. They and other indigenous organizations argue the mine would destroy the sacred site and end Apache spiritual practices there. The company says it's committed to tribal consultation and protecting cultural heritage and that such input has informed significant changes in the project's design. The Ninth Circuit Court will rehear the case in March before for a full 11-judge panel. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. Alaska Native people are mourning the loss of a North Slope leader who grew up running sled dog teams to collect firewood along the Arctic coast and came of an age in the time of snow machines, borough governments, and Native corporations. Oliver Levitt died Sunday at the age of 79. Levitt was also a whaling captain and a cultural beacon for his people, fluent in Inupiaq and known for his ability to build boats without a blueprint. Without a piece of paper in your hand to go from dimensional wood, hardwoods, and end up with a, a whaling boat is a skill. Glenn says he admired Levitt for his ability to fight for his region and move comfortably from the boardroom to the whaling camp to the halls of Washington, D.C. He was adept at it. He made it effortless. He has a, a diplomat skill, but he also has a, a hard-won nuts-and-bolts kind of education. An education Levitt used to help turn ASRC into Alaska's largest private company. Well, we've known each other for, I think, over 50 years. Willie Hensley, a leader in Alaska's Native land claims fight, first met Levitt when they got out of the Army. It was then, he says, that Levitt dedicated himself to a life of public service, working to form a new borough, teaming up with the other leaders to turn ASRC into a company that earns billions in revenue each year. He was persistent, and in order to do the things that he had to do, 
He had to work hard. He practically camped in Washington, D.C. Hensley says one of Levitt's biggest accomplishments was his battle to help the North Slope Borough take over a U.S. Navy gas field, which enabled the borough to bring heat and power to the region. A memorial for Levitt is planned for Monday in Utkeavik at the Barrow High School. A new housing development is in the works for the Turtle Mountain Reservation in North Dakota, The Turtle Mountain Housing Authority recently closed with an investor to begin construction of a $19 million affordable housing project. It will provide 52 apartments for community members. The new development includes buildings with a mix of studio and one- and two-bedroom units. State and federal funds are helping with the project. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Make sure your holiday checklist includes avoiding the latest holiday scams. Scammers count on you being too busy and distracted to pay attention, so visit aarp.org slash holiday scams to get up-to-date tips on the latest scams. AARP supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. P-22 is arguably the most famous mountain lion in the world. During his 10 years roaming the Santa Monica Mountains above Los Angeles, he brought to life the effects of habitat loss for mountain lions and all wildlife, trying to survive urban encroachment. His life in and around L.A. inspired a forthcoming $88 million land bridge across a busy eight-line highway, something local tribes had a say in. P-22 was euthanized in December after wildlife officials determined he could no longer make it in the wild. The Tongva, Shumash, and Losueño tribes considered P-22 a relative and acknowledged mountain lions as important animals. As such, they want to make sure P-22 is honored and laid to rest with ceremony and respect. We'll talk more about P-22 and the lessons he offers We welcome your thoughts, too. Are mountain lions, pumas, and cougars an important animal or relative in your native culture? Give us a call to share your insights at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first from Davis, California, is Kimberly Morales-Johnson. She's the tribal secretary and a member of the Gabrielino Tongva San Gabriel Brand of Mission Indians. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Kimberly, he's been called the Hollywood cat, world's most famous cat. When did you first become aware of P-22? I think that we've always known that our relatives were out there, but um, he started to become sensationalized once they um, caught him and they they put him, um, the little tracking device on him, maybe um, 
five, six years ago, if not 10 years ago, but we always knew that our relatives were out there. Mm-hmm. So about five years ago, and that's where he got the name P-22. It's the tracking collar that he wears or who wore? Yeah, correct. So that to me, that's a very colonial term um, and to and thing to do to to catch somebody and to put a tracking device and to give them a, a name that's more of a number, an assignment, which is what they did to our people in boarding schools. This wasn't necessarily a relative once you put a number on it. It just speaks to their colonial ways and their science. Kimberly, what was your initial reaction when you found out that P-22 had been euthanized? Prayers. Prayers, and we talked about um, praying for this relative the way that we prayed for our ancestors. Um, I was reminded of, you know, different things that, you know, when when the settlers came into California, especially up here in Northern California and down where we're at um, with the missions, they they tracked us. They they put um, different types of identifying um, marks on us and. Um, it was prayers because I felt that what was happening to this poor cat was was already seen in our people for generations throughout the state of California. Now, <clears throat> P-22 died last month, and at what point did your tribe step up uh, to become involved with uh, some of these events now, a, a burial at some point in the future and uh, other ways to pay respect? Um, well, so we knew that they were going to um, track him. I was actually, the week that they, um, they, they caught him, I was on a phone call with California Fish and Wildlife that week, and one of the um, members from Fish and Wildlife said, oh, well, we have this whole P-22 mess. And I said, yeah. I said, it's not really considered a mess to us, but if you'd like to discuss it with the Native community, we're open because not, there's not too many people that are happy about how you're handling this right now. And he never acknowledged it. I said something again. I said and I, at the end of the call, I said, if you'd like to talk about P-22, there's a few of us that would like to talk about what y'all are doing with him. Then it went about a week, and we got a phone call, I think, the day before they were ready to transport him um, from the, Nation, um, the Natural History Museum. And they asked us if we could please um, help escort him, which tribal representatives did along with uh, Mr. Salazar. And um, he was given, you know, songs and prayers. But it was very rush-rush. It was two days before Christmas. Uh, It wasn't an open process. And what I understand now, well, I can tell you that I've really only had contact with the Natural History Museum over this entire situation the Fish and Wildlife have not contacted us, which may be different for the other tribes that are on the call, but for us, they have not spoken to us. Um, and so now the burials and some of the other the ceremonies that are happening are more of independent things. And when I spoke to the Natural History Museum at the beginning of the week, they said that they have yet to hear back from Fish and Wildlife regarding the permit to release the body to the Natural History Museum. And Kimberly, what is it that you would like for wildlife officials to be doing now? What could they be doing better to appease these concerns that you and your people have? 
I feel that the Fish and Wildlife has a long history of ignoring Native American voices. It goes back, you know, to the 60s and 70s with some of the salmon wars up here in Northern California when they were arresting our people. They've never had a good relationship with Native tribes as far as I'm concerned. Um, they try to do things with a lot of bureaucracy. And so my first thing I would like to say to them is go back and read your, your interactions with your Native people from California and see how you've treated them and see how the Native people have responded. And let's talk about building a relationship and repairing some of the harms that you have done, not only to our people, but to our relatives, because they need to learn from their history. That's the thing with these institutions. These people only work there for three, five, maybe 10 years. And then they retire out and they forget. But our people have been Native American and living in this state since time immemorial. And we know what these institutions are about. And we remember what they did in the 70s and the 80s and even today. Kimberly, you shared earlier uh, how the history of mountain lions in California parallels that of your own people. And I want to ask you that P22, in addition to being such a a beacon of, of awareness of wildlife and, and really an international celebrity, uh, I think you could say. Do you think also that uh, the influence of P22, that it is, that his role played um, more interest and more awareness just in, in people learning more about Los Angeles tribes as well? Um, I think that because we've been um, all of our voices together have been rising up to say the same thing. We are all a little bit older, a little bit wiser. We've all been able to see these things clearly. This is the first time, I think, in history where we have different positions with different organizations like diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they're trying to be aware of more Native voices. And so I feel that our voices um, have been risen up, especially in this occasion, what I find is unfortunate is because we are in Los Angeles, I've talked to a lot of tribal members who feel that this is becoming sensationalized and not necessarily honoring our way in a good way, honoring this cat in a very um, private way and returning him home to where he belongs mm -hmm. in our good way and not in a way that's going to be blasted all over social media or on TV. Well, I, I want to ask you more about that, the sensationalism aspect, because there's T-shirts being sold, like you said, social media. There's all kinds of, um, you know, little comparisons and, and all kinds of nicknames and things like that. And, and do you think ultimately some of that is doing more harm than good? I, I do. I, I, that's not that's not how we how we are as Native people. That's not what I've been taught in my growing up. I would, you know, we're we're taught to walk humbly, and um, we don't talk about ourselves and our accomplishments. We're we're taught to honor um, the dead, and we don't even speak their name for a year. And yet, this is just turning into some type of circus. Um, and unfortunately, I think because we're in LA, we you know we don't just see it with with P twenty two. We see it with our white sage being poached. Uh, we see it with our stories. We see it with um, books and, and artists who try to do something with our, our native good ways or our sacred sites. So it, it's, it's a constant battle for our people. Um, 
I think, for all of Southern California, which has been really difficult. Yeah. Kimberly, I, I know P22 was, I, I think, about 12 years old, which they say is a, a very long time for a mountain lion to live. But I, I want to ask you, do you feel in any way that his death could have been avoided? Well, um, I know that he was injured, and I'm I'm not um, a doctor, so I don't know. I know that, you know, I'm not sure what happened. But if anybody remembers when they first... Um, decided and, and put it out in the media that they were going to try They were looking for him and they wanted to, to take him in for observation. Um, they said that they were worried that the cat had gotten too big. And um, that was the reason they were going to bring him in. And so they've never been consistent on their story. So because of that, I'm not sure. But I know that we made things, you know, possible with the bridge, um, to try to help him live a healthy life. Uh, but I also see that the population growth and sensationalism and whatever fish and wildlife decide to do, that's kind of what happens. So it's, it's, it's really sad, but I'm, I'm not sure. Listeners, if you've been following the story of P-22, then you know that uh, the big cat Unfortunately, passed away last month, uh, the most famous mountain lion in the world, P-22. And we're talking about P-22 today with uh, some Native people in the state of California who are very knowledgeable on P-22 and mountain lions and uh, some of these recent events that are occurring now in California. Anybody with a question or want to share any information about mountain lions, please give us a call. 1-800 is the number, 996-2848. Once again, the number is 1-800-996-2848. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Big-time Hollywood filmmaker James Cameron connected his first Avatar films to Native struggles with colonialism. That didn't go over well with Native audiences. His new Avatar sequel is also getting pushed back for appropriation and poor attempts at Native parallels. We'll discuss Avatar and what audiences might look for when it comes to Native futuristic stories and images. That's on the next Native America Calling. O dage kenda nawa guayak endayan anishinabe akwasi wigamigung. Kaundinagadeg, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. P22, the most famous mountain lion that lived in Griffith Park in Los Angeles. He died in December, and there's uncertainty over whether or not tribes in LA will have a chance to give this big cat, they call their relative, proper funeral. How does your tribe view and honor mountain lions? You're welcome to join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. What would you like to say about P-22? That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest is speaking with us from Ventura, from Ventura, California, Alan Salazar. He's a tribal elder on the Elders Council and a traditional storyteller with the Fernandino Tetaviam Band of Mission Indians. Alan, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. 
Alan, earlier we heard Kimberly talk about the cultural significance of mountain lions. Uh, tell us more uh, about their significance to your people. Uh, well, you know, the, the big difference uh, between uh, Native cultures and, and uh, Western American European cultures is uh, we respected the animals, even the animals that we hunted to, to, uh, to eat and provide sustenance for us. Uh, we would do ceremony be- before we would hunt the deer. We would, we would do ceremony for, uh, for swordfish. Um, and uh, we, we uh, and most of the tribes of Southern California, we are what are called clans, clan tribes. So we use the animals as, 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 as teachers. We have the bear clan, the deer clan, uh, uh, and as we all know, the mountain lion, it's, it's, it's at the top. It's, it's the top predator uh, uh, and is, is probably the most uh, feared hunter and respected hunter that we have. And if, 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 uh, if you want to survive uh, in, in, traditional tribal environment that we had for thousands and thousands of years you would only survive if if you if you learn from the animals how did they survive where did they hunt when did they hunt and and the mountain lion being so secretive and stealth uh he, he was probably one of the greatest uh, teachers uh, that 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 we have okay now alan i know you were there to perform a ceremony for p22 uh, what are you comfortable sharing uh, about that experience? Uh, well, I can I can tell you, uh, uh, I, I've been involved with with the wildlife crossing, the wildlife bridge, and and P twenty two for four or five years, and was aware of them, you know, through the news, like most Southern Californians, uh, uh, for even a little bit longer than that. Uh, it was an extremely difficult day. Um, uh, uh, as, as Kimberly said, uh, we, we didn't receive a lot of advance notice. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I had to, to make calls and, and find out, you know, what's going on, and, and uh, it, it was it was very last minute. Uh, uh, you know, luckily, uh, my schedule was, was was free that that day, and and I I think I got about 24 hours notice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it was. It was an emotionally draining day uh, for for the native peoples, the two young men, the Tonga men that I, I was uh, had the honor of being with. Uh, we, we were uh, uh, physically and emotionally drained by the end of the day. Mm, I can imagine. Alan, you mentioned the land bridge. Kimberly mentioned the land bridge as well. Um, I, I know you've been involved in that project and uh, would this be happening, this land bridge, if it were not for P twenty two? I it probably would hap- be happening. I think we can safely say that it, it wouldn't have happened as quickly uh, as, as it did, and come together with all the support from from all around the world, uh, really for for without P twenty two. And, and what will the bridge mean for all wildlife in the area? You know, that's something that's that that's important to me, and I and I think to to, to most tribal people, uh, you know, we 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 understand how how uh, uh, 
how the system works in America, um, and, and and you need a, a celebrity. Uh, celebrity support is is, is key in, in getting any project off off the ground. But uh, I'm I'm as concerned uh, for for uh, you know the small creatures, uh, the the raccoons and the possums that that get hit every day on on our roads and highways, the deer, uh, you know the coyotes, uh, uh, owls and 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 uh, the the raptors that that are hunting a, a small mouse on the other side of the freeway and, and, and dive down to get that mouse and are, are oblivious to, to the cars and trucks because their, their focus is, is so strong on, on what they're, they're hunting uh, that, that we, we, need, we need to, to um, uh, better protect all, all, all the wildlife. And I've been saying this for years. Um, uh, the more... The, the more animals that go extinct, uh, I mean, we have no grizzly bears in the wild in California. Uh, the, the, the more animals that go extinct, the closer we are to extinction. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take a call now. We have Sarah, who is listening in Homer, Alaska on KBBI. Sarah, thank you for calling in today. Hey, good morning. Um, I live in Homer, Alaska. And there's been about, no oh, four or five people that have told me they have seen sightings of mountain lions up here. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe that they weren't seeing what they were seeing. Uh, they think they may be following the mule deer up. We have mule deer coming into our state now. And we don't uh, have any deer right around this area. We have a lot of moose. And so they think they must just be moving through. Um, I think people love to come to Alaska because it reminds them of how the rest of the world used to be. Mm. And I'm just wondering if you guys have uh, heard of any sightings of mountain lions up here in Alaska. Uh, Homer is in South Central. All right, that's Sarah listening in Homer, Alaska, interested in, in mountain lion sightings. And I'm interested in mountain lion sightings, too. In other communities as well, and I can remember as a as a young child, my grandfather used to sing a song about a mountain lion up there on Mount Taylor many many years ago. I remember that song. Um, Alan, um, so what's next? I, I know there's going to be a memorial for P twenty two coming up in February. What do you know about that? Uh, well, it, it, it's going to be at the uh, uh, Greek Theater. Uh, uh, I I understand. The necessity of it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of of, of big public uh, 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 events like that. Uh, I I would much rather uh, focus more of my energy on on when we could do a more private ceremony uh, uh, for a smaller group for tribal people. Um, and I I hope it's not a battle, but uh, we we will be planning and scheduling some meetings here uh, in the next few weeks from what I hear from uh, the Museum of Natural History, the Los Angeles Museum of Natural History. And then any thoughts at all as to um, what the burial might be like in the future? Um, well, like I said, uh, we, we have not had any meetings yet. Uh, 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 the tribal community is, is anxiously uh, uh, waiting to hear from uh, uh, the LA Museum of Natural History, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife, uh, 
uh, uh, we, we want our voice and our concerns uh, uh, heard. And let, let me say this. It's not just the Native community. There, there's a lot of uh, other um, uh, Angelinos that uh, don't want, uh, 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 you know, P-22 made uh, in, into a science project. Uh, they don't want him put on display, uh, mm-hmm. which I haven't heard of, of that ha- happening. But we, th- there's many of us that, that believe he, he deserves a respectful burial, uh, 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 honored and, and ceremony done in, in, a, in a respectful way. And that, that's what we're all hoping for. Okay. Now, Alan, what can you tell us about... Um how P-22 was captured and, and some of these injuries that, that he suffered. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I said, it it was like losing a, a, a close friend, a a family member. Um, as, as Killer was saying, you know, when you look at, at our tribal history, uh, you know, we, we've, we've been hunted the bounty system in California that most Californians don't are not aware of. Uh, we were hunted uh, just just like the mountain lions, uh, the bears are hunted. Uh, and uh, you know, to, to get those reports on on his injuries, uh, the rat poisoning thing is is just uh, uh, sad and, and 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 traumatic for 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 me to hear. Uh, that you know, he, he sounds like he was suffering in, in his last last few few days, his last few months. Uh, the mange. Uh, 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 I, I don't question the the the, the decision. It, it sounds like you know his physical condition condition had deteriorated uh, uh, to, to a really you know bad bad position. Uh, Twelve years is, is a long time for a mountain lion. Uh, let me let me close on on, on this subject. The, the the biologists want to do studies on on P twenty two. They've collected samples. Uh, they've ran tests. Uh, uh, enough is enough. We all know uh, the cycle of life. This will not be the only older male mountain lion that 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 they will recover. They, there are. Uh, and I'm not sure of the exact number, but there's 20, 30 other mountain lions that they have tagged and monitored, and they know their whereabouts. Uh, there'll be other mountain lions that they can do uh, uh, tests on their kidneys and their and their livers and and, and, and what they're eating and how they're being poisoned. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, at some point, we we believe uh, enough is enough. Enough of the studies. Uh, let, let's 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 be respectful. Mm-hmm. Alan, I'm glad you mentioned those other mountain lions that have been collared because uh, P-22 and these other lions, they're part of an ongoing study, as I understand it. And, and part of the larger story here is just um, the the symbolism here that P-22 represents in terms of this larger question of wildlife endangerment and um, population growth and encroachment on wildlife. And the question I want to ask you is, is what do you want people to understand about P-22? People all over the world that are paying attention now, maybe for the first time with regard to mountain lions and maybe other wildlife issues in Southern California and beyond, what do they need to take home with this story? Uh, 
Uh, you know, a couple things. One, uh, that P-22 and, and mountain lions are very respected uh, animals. They, they, they are very respected within, the, within our native communities. And they are tremendous teachers. And as we know, P-22 taught us many things. How, how, can, how can an animal so large, a main predator, live in such a small uh, area and survive with, with, with humans? Look at what's what's going on in Washington D.C. You can't tell me that we can't learn from. Here, here's a, a, a an animal that that is a hunter, a predator, and he's living uh, in nine square miles. Traditionally, he lives in a 150 square mile range. Uh, you know the, the sacrifices, the adaptations he had to make to survive, uh, uh, are are were were striking. Uh, we we need to we need to respect that uh, and and do as much as we can to preserve more and more open space, more and more open space for for the, for the mountain lions, for all the animals, the small creatures, the lizards, the snakes, uh, and and, uh, and I will say, for native peoples, we've lost our land. We need more open space so we can go collect our traditional plants, so we can go pray. Uh, at, at sacred sites that have been taken away from us. Uh, so the more uh, the, the more open space that's preserved, uh, it, it's better for for tribal people. It's better for all citizens. It's better for 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 not just the mountain lions, but all all of our all of our wild uh, uh, animals that are our neighbors. And we need to we need to have that mentality. They're our neighbors. They have just as much right if not more, because they've been here longer than we have, to, to have a safe home, to have a, a, a safe place to, to gather, to eat, to hunt. Let's go back to Kimberly. Kimberly, Alan stresses um, the significance of, of P-22 and, and the way he adapted to the changing landscape, the changing environment. And um, and earlier you shared parallels to your own tribal history, and um, how does that inspire even today in 2023 as Native nations? We still need to adapt, do we not? Oh, absolutely. It speaks to modernity in a different way. Um, you know, I used to do uh, classroom presentations. I was a, a teacher, but I would also teach people our, our California Indian culture, and the kids would ask questions like, do you still use um, huts? Do you still sleep in huts? Do you still use a mortar and pestle? And um, as I've been in school, I've learned my proper response would have been, well, do you still live in a covered wagon? Do you still churn butter? <laughs> we, you know, we as Native people are expected to freeze in time and not be a part of modernity. But we live in a modern world and intrinsically and Sorry, we hold our, our tribal beliefs, um, our good ways, our intentions, our ways of knowing, our spirituality. And so there's, there's an importance to us knowing who we are deep inside, apart from the outside world. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And Kimberly, as I understand it, uh, you're part of a group, uh, a conservancy that recently got some land back uh, in California, in Los Angeles. And, um, do you see any, do you draw inspiration for that event? And, um, 
in this whole issue with P22 and um, and his legacy as well? I, I do. I, I see the land as an opportunity to heal um, because when the relationship between the people and Mother Earth was severed because of colonialism, that's when our people started to suffer. That's when our plant and animal relatives started to suffer. So now we have an opportunity to um, exercise our self-determination and tribal sovereignty on a piece of land that is owned by Tongva people that's making decisions collaboratively with one another with respect, with restorative justice, indigenous restorative justice practices. And we're modeling this after the Gorate up in, in Ohlone land. And we're learning how do we do this in a good way but the relationship between the land is first, and that's how we're going to start healing our lateral relationships with one another. So- we have to take one more short break. We'll be right back. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The famous mountain lion of Hollywood, P-22, died last month, but not before teaching the city about habitat loss. To local tribes, this big cat is a relative with a very familiar story. What animals are significant to your culture? How did your tribe protect mountain lions or other culturally significant animals and their habitats? Please join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Our third guest is joining us now, Dr. Christina Swindle. She's the tribal secretary for the Gabrieleno Band of Mission Indians, Keech Nation. She's Gabrieleno. Dr. Swindle, welcome to the show. Hi there. Good morning. Again, thank you for having me. Absolutely, uh, Dr. Swindle. And, and please tell us more about what made P-22 so unique among mountain lions and, and other wildlife there in Southern California. Well, I, I think it's the celebrity component of it. You know, these beautiful photographs that were able to be obtained where you can see such a magnificent creature with the Hollywood sign behind them, you know, really brings awareness to the general public that, yes, these amazing predators live in our urban environment. And it really brings it to light versus just saying, oh, you know, we have mountain lions in our territory, but to actually see it. Um, I think he's provided um, significant education for the general public and has become a symbol of that. And how exactly did P-22 wind up there in Griffith Park? As far as I am aware, he was traditionally um, from the Santa Monica Mountains and had um, migrated um, over to Griffith Park. And then, of course, because of the freeways um, was kind of, you know, forced to stay there ever since. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, bounded by freeways on every single direction. So it's a miracle he made it there to begin with. 
he had to cross those busy freeways like that. And there's, there's, there's no like downtime in that area, right? There's always cars. It's not like he could have gone at three in the morning, either way, it was heavy traffic. Yeah. So I agree with your other speakers in that he's, um, he is an example. He's an example of resiliency despite urbanization. And again, how did he manage to make it there? How did he manage to live a long life of 12 years? Um, mm-hmm. I'm a veterinarian as well. I'm actually actually in surgery as we speak right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, I was reading about the diseases that they found, you know, as far as kidney disease, liver disease, heart disease. These are all things that we see in um, senior cats in general anyway. Um, so to me, as far as um, like the Natural History Museum initially wanted to do further research and all that, I can't imagine what additional information would be gained. Um, again, these are all very common diseases as um, felines in the world of different you know, sizes and shapes um, succumb to anyway. Um, it sounds like he also has some pretty horrible internal injuries as a result of, you know, getting hit by who knows how many cars. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's what ultimately, you know, led to that thankfully humane decision. I, I couldn't imagine um, the ending of his life if he was left to his own. So, in, in the, Dr. Swindlin, yeah. as a veterinarian and, and based on everything you've heard, the evidence that, that you've had a chance to review, uh, sounds like uh, euthanization was probably the right decision? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that he had that horrible mange, um, that is something that we see in animals that are immune compromised. So it tells us that his general health was very poor anyway, and for that for that to kind of succumb throughout his body. So... Um, there was underlying disease, obviously, before he got, you know, hit by um, these cars. Um, so he was already succumbing to older age changes and diseases anyway, of which, you know, most of the time, you know, especially in domesticated pets, we just watch them slowly waste away. And, you know, we do the best in managing them with medications, but, you know, obviously that's not practical in a wild animal like that. So. We would have watched him slowly starve to death, and that would have been a pretty miserable way for him to go. Dr. Swindle, what do we know about P-22's daily life? I mean, there in in Griffith Park, this huge 100-plus-pound cat. I mean, what was he eating? Where was he sleeping? What was his lifestyle? Those are really good questions. I mean, we know their primary prey is deer, but also, you know, they'll, I mean, eat whatever they can find, right? Um, and I know there were quite a few sightings, well, of various mountain lions and bobcats and stuff in our areas where they're just, you know, in people's backyards, you know, roaming around. Um, I'm sure because of his tracker that they would, that the, you know, the National Park Service would be able to tell us those answers. Like, where does he go? Where does he sleep at night? How did he manage to survive in this urban um, environment and live through it. Yeah, I, I would love to know that information. Again, which should, is data that's already been collected. There's no additional, you know, research of any kind that would have to be done on his body um, to gain that information. 
Now there were some reports that P twenty two attacked some some pets, some some small dogs that were on leashes uh, being walked. Is does that? Um, I, I mean, is that the type of behavior that's um, that's um, indicative of a of a typical mountain lion, or was that just kind of an oh, odd absolutely. odd event? No, I would say absolutely typical. Um, we see that boy, we see that in coyotes all the time. I've I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many, you know, dogs I've had to sew back together because they've been attacked by a coyote in their own yard at, at noon, the middle of the day. Okay. Um, Could so, some yeah. people say then perhaps that, that um, you know, he, he represented a danger to society then there in the park? Oh, gosh, no. I think mm-hmm. we're the danger, not him. He's, he's just trying to live and survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously we have to take precautions. You know, I don't know, you know, about hiking throughout Griffith Park and coming across him, but we are the danger to him. Yeah. Sure, sure. Let's take another call. Betta is listening in Gallup, New Mexico on KGLP. Betta, you're on Native America Calling. Hello. How are you all doing today? We're doing great, Betta. What's on your mind? Um, We are having some issues. And I understand that uh, those who have cattle farms and and things like that, I'm seeing some beautiful animals brought down. And I was just wondering what kind of law is going to be placed for, I don't, I don't know if anybody knows of anything about New Mexico law, but this law should be um, for all endangered animals all over the country. Is there such a law or no? Okay. Um, Dr. Swindle, do you have any response for that question regarding laws to protect uh, wildlife from hunters? Uh, yeah, I specifically, I don't have an answer to that, but I'm, I know there are laws out there to okay. protect them. Um, I know people that, you know, have obviously farmers and um, they need to protect their their flocks, um, their their own assets. Um, you know when they live in the environment of these same predators. But yeah, I'm sure there's significant laws to protect them from um, people that okay. might go rogue or however okay. you want to. <laughs> Our producers looked up some information for you, Betta. In 1999, the New Mexico Game and Fish implemented a mountain lion hunting quota system, and they are protected out of season. Uh, that information comes from the Mountain Lion Foundation, uh, and states do have their own management policies. So uh, hopefully that that helps you a little bit and uh, answers part of your question there, Betta. Really appreciate that call. Again, that's Betta listening in Gallup, New Mexico. Dr. Swindle, let's talk a little bit more about the history of mountain lions and, uh, and how they have fared uh, with urban development over the last few years decades and, and even the past century? Well, um, again, as your other speakers have, have spoken as well, um, they have not fared well, which I think very, very much parallels um, many Native communica- uh, communities throughout the United States that, you know, we all lived this vast, beautiful life at one point, And with, you know, Europe. Europeans' influences and colonialization that drastically changed and um, changed for us and our ancestors significantly, but obviously for our wildlife as well. 
And yet, I think it's amazing that he was able to live that 12 years. I, I commend him um, for his um, resiliency through that, and I'm kind of awed by that. But I'm hoping, what I'm hoping we can get out of this is he serves as an example of, of how these animals are able to survive and what can we do to encourage that, to promote that, to nurture that. Um, so, so we're not steadily seeing these numbers go down and down and dwindle until there's absolutely nothing left. That would just be horrible. Um, the same thing we don't want to see for our own people. You know, we want our numbers to grow or at least stay steady to represent all of our own unique cultures. Mm-hmm. And overall, uh, there in Southern California, we talked about uh, these other mountain lions that are in the area. And um, how serious is, is the threat of extinction to mountain lions there in Southern California right now? I would think horribly serious. Um, again, I, how he managed to live that long is amazing. Um, the, the hurdles, not just finding enough food, but uh, finding safe shelter. Um, you, know, you know, these big cats have, if they're able to find a mate, number one, you know, they only have two or three, you know, kittens at a time. And ha- the, the odds that they have to overcome to survive, to try to keep the population up, um, you know, the diseases that they have to deal with or get exposed through, um, the poisonings, you know, the, the things we put out. Um, you know, we put out rodent baits. We put out um, different kinds of pesticides. And how does that affect our wildlife, you know, while we're trying to protect our homes? And um, it's just so many hurdles. It seems um, endless. Dr. Swindle, do you ever see other mountain lions just randomly there in Southern California as you're out and about driving in town and in going places? Is it the common? The closest I ever came was, yeah, a hike in Griffith Park where we saw fresh scat that was very consistent with a mountain lion, um, but never saw the mountain lion itself. Um, oh. but, but otherwise, in my own experience, like live, no. I've you know seen videos on TV and stuff pretty neat. Okay. Alan, how about you? Do you ever see random mountain lions in in your journeys? Uh, No, I haven't. And, and, you know, and I've worked uh, for about six, seven years at the Santa Susana Field Lab as they were collecting uh, soil samples, uh, looking for contamination up there. And uh, uh, we found out later when when they started placing more cameras, that there's about three or four mountain lions that live uh, in that 2,800-acre site. And many of us, uh, the, the environmental scientists, the, the biologists, the, the archaeologists, the native monitors, uh, uh, I know I, I felt many times like, okay, we're being watched. <laughs> the mountain lions are up there watching us. <laughs> we, we, but we never never saw them. Same thing, saw tracks and saw scats. And, and you know, a, after rains like we're having right now, you know, there'd be fresh fresh tracks. And, uh, yeah, there's three or four mountain lions living up, up in the Santa Susana Mountains, probably, probably more than that, four or five. Um, uh, and uh, But, like I said, they're stealth. I've, I've, never seen, I've never seen one out of my hikes and work. Okay. Kimberly, how about you? What's the closest you've ever been to a live mountain lion? 
Um, no mountain lions, but I have seen bobcat and um, bears, brown bears um, up there in, in, in the foothills when I hike. Um, but the bobcats, they're, man, they're fast. And um, I don't ever really want to encounter a mountain lion um, just because, um, you know, that like, like the doctor said, we're, they're trying to survive. And I want to honor and respect that I'm in their space. And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a shame. Kimberly, uh, for our listeners, help us out here. Um, what is the primary difference between a bobcat and a mountain lion? Is it size mostly? Uh, the size, and maybe the doctor can answer this better, but I know that the tail, the tail is completely different. It really is, you know, like a chop, a, a butch tail on the bobcat, which is where they get their name from. But the mountain lion has the longer tail, and I think that the physique is bigger, but Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Dr. Swindle, anything to add to that? Mountain lions and bobcats? Yeah, but mountain lions are huge. They're like 100 in, in their top weight, like 130, maybe even 150 pounds, the males. Uh, but a bobcat, maybe 35 pounds. Um, so little miniature fluffy things compared to them. But still, still very formidable to come across. Okay. And Dr. Swindle, some of these different terms, mountain lion, puma, cougar, are we talking about the same animal? Yes. Those are all common words for the same animal. Yes. Okay. Now, an interesting thing, as I understand it, P-22 never took a mate. Is is that odd? I, mean, I don't think odd. No. Um, number one, trying to find a female, again, looking at the data that the National Park Service might be able to, uh, you know, afford to us is, were there even any females at any time in that really small nine square mile um, territory that he had? He may have never come across one at all. Mm. Well, folks, we are going to have to wrap up our show now. But before we do, I'd like to thank our three guests today, Alan Salazar, Kimberly Morales-Johnson, and Dr. Christina, Christina Swindle for sharing their time today to discuss the legacy of P-22 and the significance of mountain lions among Native people. Join us tomorrow for a conversation about indigenous futurisms by way of the new Avatar sequel. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
and native nonprofit media organizations. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.